morning's scripture, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come this morning thanking you for your word. We thank you for this heavy passage that you've given us this morning. And Father, we know how inadequate we are to be able to read and understand this passage in the way that you would have us without the presence of your spirit. So we ask that your spirit come and intervene, that he would speak to our hearts and minds, that he would enlighten us to be able to fully understand this passage in a godly way and that we could put it to work in our lives. And Father, I pray that the words of I, that I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You know, as you read the Bible, you will come across certain passages that encourage us to be steadfast and focused in our lives. And those passages will tell us in in a not-so-dramatic fashion to maintain our focus. It's a long race, it's a marathon, and every day we have to maintain our eyes on Christ. And then there are passages like we have this morning. And these passages are supposed to be wake-up calls to believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, The passages this morning demonstrate the urgency that we should have in living a life, life for Christ. These are the messages that are shouted from the rooftops and from the pulpits throughout this world. And we have before us an extremely urgent petition from Paul. It is a request from Paul and we should heed his advice and listen to what he says. We have spent three weeks looking at love and the law and how that interacts, and so we move this morning now to the next section, beginning with verse 11. But as always is the case, we don't just move to the next section and ignore from where we came. So we go back and we look a little bit at what we've been talking about before. And you recall a few weeks ago that we were talking about the government and how Paul encouraged us to pay the taxes that were due to the government or the tribute that was due to the government, also pay honor and respect to the government because the people that serve in government are God's people put there by him and to honor them and respect them regardless of whether you believe in their philosophies or not. And then the next section he encouraged us to love not only them but to love all people to love everyone believers and unbelievers and that's what we are called to do and then he explained to us that in loving everyone the law is fulfilled 
In loving everyone, the law is fulfilled. And we looked at that last week. And we saw that it's because of our failure to love purely and perfectly that there is even a need for a law, whether it be the commands of God or the law that we have in this land. If we could love purely the way God loves us, there would be absolutely no need for any type of law whatsoever. And we talked about that whenever we make it to eternity, when we make it to heaven, there will be no law because we will have pure hearts. We will focus on each other instead of focusing on ourselves. So it is in that way that love fulfilled the law. And so now we're transitioning into verse 11. And Paul begins verse 11 with the words, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So he begins verse 11 with the words, besides this. So what exactly is he referring to when he says, besides this? It's not something that we see every day or the way we speak necessarily. So those words point backwards to something, don't they? He's using a transition, but he's yet pointing backwards to something that he's just talked about. And we aren't used to saying besides this. We usually say besides that, right? If we're in a conversation and we make a point and we say besides that, whatever the next point. So we take whatever we just said and we're using what we're about to say as a foundation for something else. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's pointing backwards. He's saying, besides what I've just said, I'm going to give you something in addition to buttress the point I'm trying to make, the overarching theme that I'm trying to make. So throughout these, Paul has given us a thesis, and that thesis has been love, right? That we are to love each other. Believer and unbeliever alike. And so then he gives us a basis and foundation for that love. And one of the basis and foundation for that love was that it fulfills the law. So remember he says, owe no one anything except what? Just check and see if everybody's still with me. Owe no one anything except love. And then he gives us a reason. Why? Why? Because love fulfills the law. So love fulfilling the law was a reason or a basis of, or foundation for why we should love each other. And actually, that's exactly where he left off in verse 10. Love is fulfilling the law. And then he comes and says, besides this, besides this. So he's pointing back, love fulfilling the law a basis why we should love, and now he's going to give us another basis or foundation why we should love. So that is the transition that takes us in to the meat of verse 11. So he's about to give us another foundation or basis for loving everyone. And it's an extremely strong exhortation. It is very eye-opening. What does he tell us? Wake up! Wake up! That's what he's saying. Wake up! 
It is time that we wake up. The hour has come for you to wake, for us to wake from our sleep. And he's speaking to us in a spiritual sense. The time is now. The time is not tomorrow, next week, next year. The time is now, so wake up. How much time do we spend getting distracted in this thing called life? How much time do we spend chasing junk? Chasing things that do not matter whatsoever. That are absolutely unimportant and in fact do damage to eternity. I want to be careful with that. Because God gives us gifts, right? We go outside and we see the sunshine and we love that sunshine and we thank Him for it. Whatever it is, He gives us to enjoy that gift. But as you've heard me say so many times, we are addicts. We love His gifts so much that we become addicted to them and we hold on to them and we chase them and ignore the giver. And whenever we are addicted to his gifts and ignore the giver, we get sidetracked. We get sidetracked and we fall asleep. We fall asleep spiritually. And it can sometimes be a very fine line, can't it? We have to constantly be on guard. Let me give you an example. Finances, right? Bank account. That's a gift from God, all right? He gave you every dime that's in whatever account that you have. It's his gift. But it has a very dangerous effect, doesn't it? Because we can get so sidetracked and so focused on that that that's all we do is to try to watch that grow every day, every hour that we're awake, and it becomes the focus of our lives it's a gift but it can be addictive if we don't keep it in the proper perspective it can become so mesmerizing that it destroys our lives when that happens we're asleep spiritually we are sidetracked to the point that we don't we are slumbering with respect to our spiritual life with god We always have a voice somewhere in our heads. And that voice seems and likes to tell us, I've got time. I've got time. I'm going to do this for now because this makes me happy, but I've got plenty of time to deal with godly things in the future. That's a voice. Anybody heard that voice? Get them up. Because it's not just unique to this guy. It's unique to the human race. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. But he always wants you to put off eternity because you will have time for that. Paul's telling you, wake up because you don't. Come out of that slumber because that voice is a lie. 
And he goes on to tell us why we should wake up. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Why? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Eternity is getting close. Eternity is getting close. It gets closer with each heartbeat. It gets closer with each breath. Paul uses the term salvation here for believers. But it is also eternity. And we are getting closer to that two ways. Number one is Christ is coming back. He promised us he's going to return and he is going to return. No one knows the hour, no one knows the day, but he's coming. He's made us that promise. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that he will return as a what? Thief in the night. You're not going to know when. So what should you do? Be ready. Be ready. That's the whole point. And we'll see more of 1 Thessalonians 5. It's pretty amazing to me because the scripture is so similar to what we're dealing with here today. So 1 Thessalonians 5 says that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. And then what does Paul tell us here? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. When he says the night is far gone, it doesn't mean it's gone. It means it's almost gone. It's almost gone. When you get up real early in the morning and you can just start to see the, the twilight before the sun hits the horizon. That's where Paul tells them they were. That was 2,000 years ago, folks. If Paul's telling them 2,000 years ago that Christ was coming soon, I think it's a little sooner now, don't you? The day is at hand. Dawn is about to break. And we can look around our world, we can look around our community, we can look around wherever and know that it's getting close. It is getting close. Jesus is coming. He's coming. We see wars and rumors of wars and all those signs of the end of age. The second way that we know that salvation is near for us now is that every day it gets a little bit closer. With each heartbeat, with each breath that we take, time is running out. Time is running out. We only have so many heartbeats. We only have so many breaths that we take. And then it's over. With every one we take, we are one breath closer to eternity. And again, you think, well, I have time. I have plenty of this time. After all, I'm young, I'm healthy. It's not me saying that, but you may say it to yourself. 
To this end, I say to you that as you age, you will come to the understanding that time seems to speed up. That weeks go by quicker and quicker and months and years and then you look back and think, wow, I remember whenever I was a teenager and time was so slow. Where did that go? You'll start to realize how little time we have on this earth and how important it is to make the best of every moment we have. Secondly, you can never know exactly when your number is going to be called. No way to know. You may think that you're 20 and have 70 years left, and then something horrible happens. We never know. We don't have that omniscient ability to know when God calls our number or when our card is chosen so Paul encourages wake up wake up see things through the eyes of eternity not the earthly eyes of day to day this is not something that we should go through with a ho-hum attitude the time is now the time is now Given the fact that there is urgency and our eternity is soon, what should we do? And Paul tells us what we should do. It's urgent, it's now, it's something we should be acting on, so what are we supposed to act on or what are we supposed to do? Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Stay out of the darkness. Stay out of the darkness. The darkness is powerful and leads to destruction. But Christ is more powerful. So because eternity awaits us and because eternity is coming fast, stop sinning! Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. We are believers. If we are believers, we are children of the light. If we are not believers, we are children of the darkness. And as children of the light, we should walk appropriately. As I said, this same line of thinking, Paul also shared to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, that's a lie. It's okay. You got plenty of time. Don't have to worry about it now. I mean, those foolish Christians are worried about getting ready for eternity. We have plenty of time for that. 
Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not what? Let us not sleep. Let us not get distracted as others do, but let us stay awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So clearly, Paul is speaking with the same ideas in mind here in Thessalonians that he was in Romans. He thought this was so important, I'm going to mention it twice. I'm going to write it in two of my letters. Not just once, but two of them. The day is coming, be ready. You are children of the light, children of the day. You're not children of the darkness, you're not children of the night. So don't act like it. Especially since the time is so short. Especially since the time is so short. So let's go back to Romans. So he tells us that we are children of the daytime or children of light. And he doesn't tell us yet what that looks like. He's going to tell us what that looks like in verse 14. But instead of him telling us what children of the daytime or the children of the light, what, how they are to act or what they are to look, look like, he tells us what children of darkness looks like. And children of the night, what they look like. Orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Those that partake in these types of activities are children of the darkness. It's plain and simple. Those who practice these activities are children of the darkness and are not children of the light. So what does a child of the day or a child of light look like? Children of the light do this. They put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. No provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Whatever that may be. Children of the light are not sleeping. They know what God asks. They know what God requires. And they're fighting it every day. Every day they wake up and they put on the full armor of God to go to war with flesh. Paul did it. And he's telling us that's what we should do as well. So how does Paul do this? How does he put on the armor of God and make war with the flesh in order to not 
gratify its desires. 1 Corinthians 9. It's a beautiful analogy. It's one of my favorites. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it. Why? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul uses an analogy of an athlete here. He says, they exercise self-control in all things. How they exercise, how they eat, how they sleep, how they take care of their body. Why do they do it? They do it to get a prize that's going to rot and decay and be worth nothing in a few short years. Paul said we should do the same things with respect to our relationship with God, but we do it for a reward that is eternal and never perishes and is way more valuable. We don't exercise self-control to receive that prize. I want you to understand that. We don't exercise discipline and self-control to receive that prize. Christ did that for us. We exercise discipline and self-control because we have the prize. I hope you can understand the distinction because it it is a distinction with a big difference. If we exercise discipline and self-control to receive the prize, then... We are no different than every other religion in the world. Muslims, Buddhists, whatever the case may be, you can lump us in. We exercise discipline and self-control because we have already received the prize that Christ gave us through the cross. He enables us to be able to do this. Otherwise, we run aimlessly. Christ won the prize for us. And through faith, we accept and believe in him and receive that prize. Paul says, I do not shadow box. I don't fight for no reason. I'm efficient in what I do. I don't just go through the motions. I bring my body into submission whatever that means and whatever that looks like why why should we do this because if we don't if we don't I myself may be disqualified how does that work how does that work if we don't exercise discipline and self-control then we are ratifying this fact that we're not of Christ. Those of Christ will exercise discipline and self-control and fight sin no matter what the cost. If you don't, if you give in, if you accept and practice that sin, you are not His. It's that simple. It's a litmus test. Now we all fight, we all exercise a degree of discipline and self-control on different levels. And God takes us there step by step by step. But the question I have for you as believers, 
are you gaining ground or are you just spinning your wheels? Because if you're spinning your wheels, it's actually likely that you're moving backwards. And whenever we start moving backwards, then we have doubts of whether we're his or not. So it really doesn't matter, does it? Because life's the same as an unbeliever. So this morning's message is all about this urgent idea to fight. Have we accepted the things of this world as the end all and so we're not going to fight and this is the end? If that's what we've done, then this will be the end. But Paul says, I discipline my body, I fight sin every day. So that at the end of all this, and you've heard me say many times, it doesn't matter when you begin. It matters where you end. But the problem we have is we don't know when that end is. So you better be ready. Because if you don't ever get to the beginning, then you never will get to the end. So putting on Jesus is what Paul tells us to do. Putting on Jesus means that we discipline ourselves in every way. We exercise self-control and discipline and bring our bodies into submission so we don't get led astray by the lusts of the world, whatever shape or form they take. We discipline our actions and we do that by disciplining our mind because we don't act first, we think first. And it is from between these two ears that my actions begin. And so, how does this work? We looked at it a few weeks ago in chapter 12. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. When our minds are renewed, our actions are renewed. It has to start in our minds. And the only way that it starts in our minds is it starts actually before that in our hearts. So we saw last week that he takes out that heart, or a week before last, I can't remember. He takes out that heart of stone, puts in that heart of flesh, changes our desires. That creates a desire to renew what goes on up here. When this is renewed, then the things I do are different. Then I discipline my body and bring it into submission so that at the end... Whenever that time comes, it may be a minute from now, it may be a year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. I'm not asleep, but I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's what Paul encourages us through these passages this morning to do. Be ready. Because we don't know when either Jesus is going to come back or we're going to go. We have no way of knowing that. This process doesn't happen overnight. And this process, this doesn't happen on its own. You don't just decide, okay, I'm accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, I'm changed in every thought, everything that I do. It takes discipline through the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish that. A renewing of our minds and a renewing of our actions. To be able to fight the temptations of this world. 
So here we are this morning. Here we are this morning. What is it? March 6th, 2022. 2,000 years since Paul, over 2,000 years since Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. What significance it has, because God's truths are eternal. How easy it is for us to get distracted. But the night is almost over, folks, one way or the other. The night is almost over. Dawn is ready to break. I guess my question to you all is, are you sleeping? Because if you are, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up because we will all be at eternity in a very short period of time. We don't know how that's going to work out. We don't know what time, the date, the hour, whatever the case, we don't know what it's going to be. But nonetheless, it's a time to act. It's a time to act expediently. Put aside the petty, foolish temporal desires of the world that mean nothing and set our sights on eternity on fighting this fight that we have with our flesh each and every day because it is the latter that matters in eternity it is the latter that will guarantee that we are a child of the light and not a child of darkness amen let us pray Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these searching words of Paul, both in Romans and Thessalonians. Father, we do not know the day, the hour, the time when either Jesus is going to come back or when you call us. Help us to wake up. Help us to understand what life is about. Help us to find joy in you, not in the desires of the flesh. Father, we pray that your focus, that you would change our focus each day of our lives, that we wake up and we put on your armor and we put you on so that we can become more like you and we can fight that good fight as Paul did and we do so efficiently and that at the end of this race, you welcome us home, that we don't show that we are disqualified, Lord. And Father, we thank you for everyone here. Father, we're going to get to enjoy a fellowship dinner together. We pray, Father God, that you would bless that food to nourish our bodies, that the fellowship we share, Lord, bring you glory and be satisfying unto your ears. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.